Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Okay, here we go. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Today, Schalke rise to the occasion as Bochum flounder. Bayern win at Stuttgart but worry about their substitutes. And Dortmund make it a perfect 10 against Leipzig. All of this and much more in Beer and Honey. Hello, this is the Beer and Honey podcast. I'm Alfred Honigstein. And I'm Christoph Biermann. And we're here to talk to you about another very exciting match day in the Bundesliga. But first of all, your weekly reminder, please do support us. We need you. We need the subscriptions. We need you, the support. Become a member of our supporters club. Go to steadyhq.com slash en slash beer and honey to help us keep this little lovely pod on the road. Uh, we will have some news, incidentally, about some very interesting developments and changes to our supporter members model but uh, stay tuned for that we will be telling you all about that this week okay christoph i know you're dying to talk about what happened at the bottom of the table or <laughs> maybe you don't want to go there but i think we should start at the top because it was another very interesting match day as far as the title race is concerned first of all perhaps we should say that Union a nil-nil draw against Köln they fell a little bit by the wayside perhaps not unexpectedly Freiburg also just a nil-nil draw at Gladbach and it really is the big two now isn't it um, because Dortmund beat Leipzig who you have crowned as the number one contender not called Bayern uh, before the start of the second half of the season they beat them at home on Friday 2-1 and Bayern won also 2-1 at Stuttgart which means that both teams are equal on points Bayern with the better goal difference um, Christoph let's start with Dortmund on Friday night their 10th win in a row the 8th in the league and another game and another result where it could have been different They weren't wholly convincing, but yet again, they held on and they found a way of winning. Would that be a fair summation? Yeah, and that reminds me of the uh, famous saying um, of uh, Hermann Gerland, who, who, who likes to say when, when there is talk about this um, concept that Bayern is always lucky, um, uh, immer Glück ist können. And I think, how, how can we translate it? Always lucky is quality or... Is it's a skill to be always lucky. Oh, it's a skill, it's a skill to be always lucky. And, and in a way, it, it looks uh, like a skill that Borussia Dortmund has developed in this, um, in this 10 games um, that, as we remember, uh, started very shakily against Augsburg, for example, this year. And but now they have developed in, uh, it into a quality, and um, and yes, I mean under under other circumstances, probably last season um, they would have probably um, only got one point or maybe would have lost. And uh, but so there was this uh, two-one win where they played very convincingly in the first half with again a. Uh, brilliant uh, Julian Brandt. Uh, in the first half, he 
He he looked like probably the best player in the Bundesliga right now. And but but this uh, then he got lost a bit in in the second half. Um, uh, but yes, it again it was a very good uh, performance by Borussia Dortmund. But um, as you have been. Uh, at the Dortmund camp before the restart uh, of of the Bundesliga, what I find interesting, and I think most uh, Borussia Dortmund supporters find interesting, is this new. I don't like this talk about hierarchy, but but um, these new roles that um, seasoned players like Mats Hummels, who spends a lot of time on the bench, and Marco Reus who sometimes spends uh, time on the bench have, uh, w what can we make of it? Is it is this um, also a part of the explanation of what, um, what uh, Borussia is, is now? I think it's difficult to really ascertain, Christoph, what cause and effect is here. Is it because Dortmund are winning that all the veterans are committed and supporting the team even though personally they might have some difficult moments as you said or is it because their support that the team are happier and are winning i guess it it's true um, both these things i think can be true at the same time it looked to me when i was there that it might be a difficult second half of the season because of all these big personalities that might not be playing that much and not just big personalities but also normal-sized personalities <laughs> and um, and players like Moda Hood who suddenly find themselves out of the team and so many players that have to be kept happy. I thought it would be difficult for Edin Terzic, but I think if there's one thing he really understands is how to deal with people, how to deal with players, and he's been able to get them all online and onside. And I'm sure that that is a factor. I was also, I also found interesting that they managed to yet again win a game where in the second half they had almost no possession. Uh, they didn't want possession. They were very deep. I think Julian Brandt was almost a wing back in the second half. And in the past, when they tried this kind of approach under Lucien Favre, when there wasn't really much pressing and they were just waiting for teams to lose the ball and then they would counterattack, It often descended into a sense of passivity and not really being quite on it. But now they seem to be able to play without the ball but still stay switched on and still have that energy and that aggression that you need if you want to be without the ball for, so, for such long times. And that seems to be the key for me. Uh, I still feel that As a team, I'd like to see a bit more stability, a bit more balance. But they have found a formula that evidently works. Just how good they really are, I'm still a little bit doubtful. But only because I guess we haven't really seen teams succeed who don't make much attempt to win the ball back. It's, a, it's kind of a novel concept. I think for a, for a top team to play like that, or at least it's unusual, um, and they don't always do it. We should we should say, but in in long stretches of these games, they've they've played without the ball, but they've played well without the ball. I think Borussia would have liked the ball more. It was not this kind of Atletico Madrid concept, like hey, take the ball, 
do whatever you like. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't get around. Uh, you don't get around us. Uh, so that was not, not my impression. I think there was. Um, they they were losing the boards um, um, uh, very quickly and um, and I think they were not always happy with it. But but you're right. I mean um, they had the stability, the nerve, and also the luck to uh, bring it over uh, uh, and and win it. And uh, but but let's uh, before we talk about their prospects um, in London uh, when they play Chelsea on Tuesday. Um, Sebastian Allaire, he he. What's his role right now? Um, he he played like um, 70 minutes or so, and uh, maybe a bit less. And um, he looks, um, yeah. How does he look like? Uh, still not fully integrated in 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 what's going on. Maybe. Um, waiting for his form to come or is everybody happy with him as it is right now i think it's impossible to distinguish the happiness that they feel about him being on the pitch and uh, a kind of more clinical objective assessment of his performances i think the two things are so linked up and mixed up that you cannot separate them easily and i think just his presence still has this very uplifting effect on the team And he is by far the best center forward that they have. They don't really historically have many, have had many uh, center forwards with the exception of uh, Lewandowski and Erling Haaland. And there's always been periods when they had to improvise or make Obama Young a center forward or play with Mukoko as a center forward when, uh, when now when Sebastian Allaire was out. And I think they just, a little bit like Bayern, I think they benefit just from somebody being there. And it doesn't really matter so much if that person is not fully fit uh, and is only lasting for 70 minutes. I think just the presence, the ability to be an outlet, it helps Dortmund to to bypass the pressure, to be long, to go long, to just have more control in those spaces. I think that is just is invaluable for this team. And I think his personality and his attitude has a very positive effect on on everyone else and i think that's why Edin Terzic keeps on playing him and i think that's why everyone's waiting for the form to to really kick in but i think we've seen enough for him of him in the second half of the season since he's come back to to understand the importance and the the benefit of of playing him now we just need to perhaps see a bit more a few more goals as well. But let's talk about Chelsea. You, you mentioned it. Um, that was another game, by the way, where Dortmund in the second half played with, without the ball quite a lot, even though they were at home. Um, again, again, parallels to the game against Leipzig. You wouldn't expect a home team to be that deep and that passive. So maybe, yes, the other side were pushing them back, but it must have been at least partially if not by design, then at least within the realms of Terzic's plan to play to play like that. Um, I don't think they can play like that from the beginning at Chelsea. I think they need to try and actually unsettle this Chelsea team. This is not a happy Chelsea team. This is not a Chelsea team that is in full form, um, thriving with the 
total backing of the crowd. There are tensions, there are rifts, and I think you exploit them best by by asking really difficult questions and really going for it and trying to score that second goal, which I think they'll need. Because uh, I think to go through on a 1-0 without the away goal rule is going to be tricky. How unhappy is this Chelsea team uh, right now? It's tr I mean, they spend so much money um, in winter. I mean, they spend more money than Bundesliga and La Liga and... Uh, League One and uh, League One and Serie A uh, combined, and um, and are having a lot of problems, or is that a perspective that is probably a bit false? Um, that they are indeed stronger than they look, and only waiting for the moment to explode, or, or, or what's go what's going on with this uh, with this new build? A Chelsea team. Well, they definitely are having problems. This was only the third win in 16 games for Graham Potter. Um, I think he's trying to do something that's impossible, which is to build a new team while having a squad of 30 players who all have a claim of playing and all need to be kept happy somehow. And he's a great guy by all accounts and will not just ruthlessly put half of the team with the reserves or try to be uh, very strong but that leads to yeah an impossible situation of keeping them all happy and I think that obviously they're happier now that they uh, won against uh, Leeds at the weekend but this is a team that's still so far away from being a team that Dortmund have a great chance what they do have of course, are great individuals. And at any given moment, somebody like Joao Felix or Kai Havertz or Raheem Sterling or Mikhail Mudrik can do something special. And even though Chelsea as a team don't really fully function yet, it can be enough for, for them to score a goal. They were a little bit unlucky in recent weeks with the way that they couldn't convert their, cha convert their chances and Perhaps they were better than the results suggested, but not much better. So I think for Dortmund, it really is a historic chance to to seize the moment, especially the doubts that exist between the fans and the coach, because a lot of them blame Graham Potter for it, I think unfairly. If they can just bring that out by frustrating Chelsea and by perhaps scoring that goal that will really put Chelsea under huge pressure that would make a big difference but I'm still optimistic I think still Chelsea have sort of a 40% chance of going through and I would make Dortmund favorites let's move on to the other team that is playing Champions League football this week preparing for the big match drum roll But but before this big match, I think with a bit less drum roll, they were playing at Stuttgart. Bayern was winning 2-1 away in Stuttgart. And yeah, um, they controlled the game for about an hour, um, almost perfectly. And then what happened <laughs> what happened what happened uh, Julian Nagelsmann made some substitutions and then 
the rhythm or whatever on the pitch changed for for Bayern. Yeah, that's exactly what's happened. I mean, Ludwig Nagelsmann said he wanted more goals, so he used the considerable quality on the bench to bring in fresh legs, and he brought in Sané, Mane, and Serge Gnabry. And you'd think that, wow, you know that that's gonna really be hard for a Stuttgart team that are playing at the maximum of their abilities, really pushing, really running. They looked quite tired. But the opposite happened because both Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry didn't really play all that well. And suddenly Stuttgart are pressing and they didn't create that much either, but they did score a late goal. And for a moment, it looked as if they might actually throw away the game. The bigger point, though, as it often is with Bayern, is the focus on this poor performance from from those who came in. Mane tried his best. He was only um, on his first step back to full fitness after that long break. He got injured, you remember, before the, before the World Cup. But for the others, there was no real excuse. It looked a little bit lazy. It looked a little bit half-hearted. And... For two players who are not starting at the moment, you would have expected more application. So time will tell if that's a sign of things to come or if this was just Stuttgart under certain under special circumstances and if the same story were to repeat on Wednesday night and Leroy Sonny gets another chance, we will see a very different player. But because... We all felt, and Bayern included, that the Union game was sort of the beginning of Bayern coming back to that machine-like dominance and everyone's running and everyone's really fully committed. It, this was a setback in that respect that not only did they lose their rhythm within the game, but I think there's a fear that they still haven't picked up enough momentum to have these Union-like performances on a bi-weekly basis. And that is the big problem for this team, that we don't see them dominate throughout. And that's why they're always liable to a draw here or there or a, an unconvincing performance. And last year, last season, is a warning of what can happen because of course it was enough to win the league but that's lack of momentum we talked about it at the time Christoph was one of the factors that they couldn't quite turn things on when it mattered even against a team that wasn't among the very best in Europe but Villarreal proved too much for them and there's a danger of course that if they have another indifferent game, it might not be enough against PSG even on Wednesday night. Almost surely Leroy Sané will not be in the starting eleven against uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Um, there was a situation like uh, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes after he came on. Um, he lost the ball in midfield in a way that, yet, that you could see that he was not concentrated at all. And then he was chasing the, the Stuttgart player and kicking and hacking and uh, desperately trying to, to get the ball. And I don't know how the situation ended in a free kick for, or maybe he, he, he managed to recover the ball. But it's, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of him. 
uh, because um, his movements are fantastic. And, and on a good day, he looks like one of the best players in the world. But 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 when you're in a situation like him, so a bit sideline, and then you come on, and you would expect like 99% of the players, ah, now I give it all, I show it to the coach, and uh, he has to play me from the start. And then he almost sleepwalks onto the pitch. And, hey, well, what is it with him? Uh, it's, it's really hard to explain. He, remember, we talked about this last week. He nearly gave away a goal for Union, where he just played a ball straight to an Union player in his own box or just outside his own box. It's, it's very hard to understand. Um, his Bayern, his time at Bayern has been up and down. He's had some unbelievable moments and um, a few months where he was just scoring and one of the first names on the team sheet. And then he's had moments like this one at the moment where you just don't feel you can really play him because you can't trust him. Now, the only thing I can say is that he seems to be one of those players who doesn't do so well from the bench. I think there are certain players who, for whatever reason, are much better when the coach tells them, it doesn't matter what happens, you're going to start. You're going to start, start, start. But at Bayern, no coach can really say that. So I, 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 I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss to explain. And I'm sure Bayern themselves will, will look at him and think... We can't quite figure it out either. But but the uh, the um, more interesting story is um, what on earth happened to Cancelo? <laughs> um, because when he came over from uh, from Manchester City on loan for the second half of the season, and he he started his first matches, so everybody was wow, he's so good and he is so convincing. He like w without any time, he um, is already part of the of the team. Provided some fantastic crosses and and so on. So and now he is he disappeared. And uh, Julian Nagelsmann made some mysterious, I, I would call them mysterious remarks about Cancelo. And, and actually seeing Stanisic play in his position at, uh, in Stuttgart uh, as a, on, on this right flank, I was um, a little bit underwhelmed. I mean, he's a, he's a good player, but is he, um, is he a man that you can would expect to see against PSG but, but 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 let's get into it but what's what's going on with Cancelo well I, Julian Nagelsmann said um, Joao has never played right center back in the back three um, just interesting for two reasons first of all I think most people looked at the team and thought this is a back four uh, with Danish is the right back and two center backs and uh, Davis on the left but of course for Nagelsmann This is nothing new. In the build-up, they often have just three. And then Davis pull, goes really high up and he becomes the second second winger. So it's a bit of a hybrid system. And it is true that Cancelo defensively hasn't always been convincing, especially when he plays in a more in a deeper role. He's he's much better when he can go inside from the fullback position and play as a midfielder, like Sinchenko does, like Philipp Lahm uh, did a little bit under 
under Guardiola as well. And I think Nagelsmann has figured out that Cancelo is is great on the ball, but maybe not not that good off it. And I think there's also the case of what's going to happen on Wednesday because Benjamin Pavard, who would be an option as a really defensive right back, is of course suspended. So somebody has to play there. And if Bayern are to play with a back four, at least out of possession, then you have a choice between Stanisic and Cancelo. And Nagelsmann seems to have decided that what you lose going forward you gain defensively and that's why Stanisic is ahead of him which seems on the face of it quite uh, weird but uh, that's where we are I don't think we've come to a place where Cancelo has refused to follow instructions or did something to be taken out of the team it's football it's a footballing decision but um, it shows you what Nagelsmann is thinking at the moment. I think we can expect the lineup um, that uh, how Bayern started um, on Saturday evening in in Stuttgart as the lineup they will have against uh, PSG. Question mark. Yeah, I think Julian Nagelsmann said that um, we will largely see the same team. I think we might see exactly the same team. I don't think that Musiala and Müller can be left out in a game of this magnitude. Coman has been by far Bayern's most consistent uh, winger at the moment. And if you want to play that hybrid system, then Davis has to be on the left. And of course, there is no way that you can't play without uh, Goretzka and Kimmich at the moment. So where the change is going to come from, I, I just don't don't see how we're going to see any any different systems the one thing he could do is put in Sané um, instead of Müller but <laughs> the way things are going I think the Allianz Arena would uh, would be uh, staging uh, some kind of protest if they see the team sheet and Müller is not on it at the moment so I don't think there's really going to be much that we don't know about this team so here comes my theory uh, concerning the match on Wednesday. Um, we talked a lot about the uh, uh, the turnaround that uh, at the first leg Mbappé uh, made when he came onto the pitch, and uh, yeah, I mean there were uh, there were uh, almost two matches um, within 90 minutes: the one without him and the one with him on the pitch. Um, but here comes my theory. It's much better for, for, for Bayern that he, he will start, I mean, almost surely, only if something very unexpectedly happens, um, he, he, he won't start. So um, this kind of surprise effect and this kind of uh, meeting an opponent that also already had some made some um, substitutions, blah, 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 uh, won't happen. And I think... They will be much better prepared to uh, defend uh, Mbappé, not only Mbappé, but um, the whole uh, Paris team. I, I see where you're coming from and I'd like to agree. I think the downside is that instead of 30 minutes of Mbappé, you'll have 90 minutes of him. So even if you defend him better, you still have two thirds more of him to defend which is not great. Uh, we saw that he only needs one or two moments to <laughs> to really embarrass you. And uh, I would also say that Neymar not being there is a big advantage for PSG because they are a broken team. It is a 7-3 formation and now it's an 8-2 formation and that will help them to find that balance that has been so often missing. 
Um, that's, I think, another reason why Bayern will play with, with Stanisic because you can't really push both fullbacks up the pitch uh, against uh, two guys like that who are just going to sit in front of you and don't don't care about coming back. So because there are no three centre-backs available uh, with Pavard being out and Lucas Hernandez injured, Bayern have no option but to play this hybrid system where the third centre-back is also um, more of a full-back. And that's why I think Stanisic has to play, even though Cancelo is, of course, on paper the the better player. Um, let's see. It's not going to be it's not going to be easy, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So now from the heavens of German football to hell. the <laughs> to to the hell of the relegation fight, and uh, yeah, uh, honestly, it was hell for me. Bochum losing at home to Schalke, who hadn't won an away game in the Bundesliga since sometime in 2019. So to to have this kind of defeat against your local rival is bad. It's always bad to lose against your local rival, but it's also um, it's worse uh, when you switch positions and. Uh, And they are second from the bottom, and uh, Bochum is now uh, la the last in the table with a red lantern. And um, after the uh, two-nil defeat against Schalke, um, yeah, um, <laughs> what can I say? You're still speechless. Give us, give us a bit of a flavor of the game. Um, I, I can the, do. I can the, do the, the atmosphere. There were a lot of. Um, Bad words being said in uh, towards uh, Thomas Reis, who of course moved from Bochum to Schalke and came back to not universal um, love, shall we say. To give a bit more background, Thomas Reis was a uh, approached before the start of the season by Schalke. Um, because uh, they needed a new coach that in the end was uh, Frank Kramer and um, uh, and uh, Bochum refused to, to let him go and obviously Reis was very, very frustrated about it and um, maybe the terrible start of the season um, that Bochum had had to do with it and so um, as we know Bochum Uh, released him and uh, a few weeks later um, Schalke released their coach and, and took Thomas Rice and uh, uh, because he, he was not open about it in public uh, he actually lied when he was asked about it um, so uh, Thomas Rice is um, I mean he is a hero in a way in Bochum because he managed to get the, the, the team, uh, the club out of the uh, second division after 11 years. But yeah, it's, it's a bit tainted uh, love uh, uh, now. And, um, and the, I mean, I've seen so many uh, relegation fights uh, in my life. Uh, being a Bochum supporter, it's, it's the stuff you're used to. And it was typical um uh typical for this kind of uh, um games what what you could see uh, in Bochum on on Saturday because um Bochum were the much better team in the first half no the the better team in the first half they had a, a great chance by Philipp Hofmann uh, to go 
one nil up, and then they conceded a, a, a almost comical goal um, when um, when there was a cross coming in, and Manuel Riemann, the goalkeeper, didn't get it, and then there was a lot of um, tumbling around and kicking wildly, kicking around in in the yeah. To, to, to paraphrase Mel Brooks. Uh Comedies when this goal uh, happens to the other side, tragedies when it happens to yours. And that's why the um, what what uh, uh, relegation uh, fights are about. It, it's very much about uh, nerves. And uh, what you could see is that um, after this uh, one nil, um, uh, Bochum completely lost it, and and they played. Uh, actually terrible football in the second half and were booed by the supporters and you could hear this famous or infamous chance uh, we wollen euch kämpfen sehen we want to see you fight and uh, and that's always a, a a bad sign and but but i have something for learning fußball deutsch from uh, from this match learning fußball deutsch with beer and honey because afterwards Thomas Letch, the uh, Bochum coach, was saying something that you can hear pretty often when football teams are in crisis. Wir werden alles auf den Prüfstand stellen. <laughs> I think the English translation is, we will, we left, we will leave no uh, stone, stone unturned. unturned. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but but it's, uh, the, um, the metaphor here is a very German uh, engineering metaphor because it said we will put everything on the test bench or so, so yeah. something like the this. Tiff. And the turf, yes, exactly, and uh, so so now um, let let let's see um, what what comes out uh, on the on the test bench in 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 Bochum and how Thomas Letch will change his team that is playing uh, Cologne away on on Friday and yes, um, <clears throat> Schalke now is one of the informed teams uh, in the Bundesliga. Six games without a loss, um, uh, and they got ten points from it. And uh, and uh, Thomas Rice is doing a fantastic job there. But honestly, also um, they seem to have the football god on their side at, at uh, uh, right now. But but also they didn't have him on on their side for for quite a while. So maybe it levels out a bit. Yeah, it's incredible what they've done, really to go from 9 points to 19 uh, since the restart. And that's been enough to lift them within a point of not just 15th, but actually 14th place. Hertha in 20, just about holding on. They lost again heavily, 4-1 away to Leverkusen and TSG Hoffenheim continue their poor run. They lost 1-0 to Mainz to find themselves in the relegation playoff spot in 16th. Um, somebody was uh, making the point on Twitter, I think it was Oliver Wurm, that uh, all the blue teams seem to be in trouble. <laughs> 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 Only Stuttgart um, uh, with the uh, red and white and a bit of yellow down there in that bluish red light district of the bottom of the table. 
Let, let's talk a bit about Hoffenheim uh, because uh, what's fascinating, which is not is not something you hear very often in Germany, but yes, there are two aspects. So, so, so one famous th um, for one thing that happened uh, uh, this week is um, that Dietmar Hopp, the kind of owner of Hoffenheim. Um, uh, said that he would put um, the club under the 50 plus one rule where he had an exception from. And um, so that was special. So Hoffenheim is now becoming more a normal club. And maybe part of this normality is uh, that they go down and then have to fight up their way to, to the Bundesliga again. But what I wanted to say is, Nobody cares about them, but not only, I mean, in the broader sense that not a lot of um, fans are uh, of German football or in Germany are in, interested in the, in the fate of um, uh, Hoffenheim, but also they, their own fans. I mean, they played away to Mainz. And when, when the camera was going to the, where the away end is, there were just, some people's uh, there. Maybe they were followed by, I don't know, four or five hundred people. And that is, it's not a long way from Hoffenheim to, to mine. So it's, um, I, I haven't checked it. It's less than two hours on, on, on the, on the motorway or on the train. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. They're struggling with the, with their crowds at, um, at their home games, but the, um, Uh, their away support is almost embarrassing, and uh, yeah. Uh, so so let's see. Um, but but I've um, I've got a quiz question for you. I mean, we we talked about um, the fantastic run of Borussia Dortmund, um, uh, winning ten games in a row and in all competitions, six in the Bundesliga, um, in the second part of the uh, season. But who won the second most points? Silence. Mm, I know that Union won their first uh, few games, didn't they? But um, no, it's not Union. Was it Schalke? No, it can't be. No, it's Mainz. Mainz. Wow. No, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Dangerous Mainz. We have six games now from the second part of the season, not from the restart, but from the second part of the season. The German Rückrunde, mm -hmm. and and it's Mainz who won um, a f a five of it, got 15 points from it, and uh, and again it's uh, it's also a bit overlooked by us, uh, but I think also overlooked by um, a lot of football fans in in Germany. How good it is what Bo Svensson and his Mainz teams are doing. Um, uh, they are tough to beat. Uh, but now they're not only tough to beat, but they um, they win it. And uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, super impressive. Um, especially if you look at their position in the table, they're seventh. So just one point behind um, the European places. Frankfurt in sixth after their draw against uh, Wolfsburg. And yeah, this was a team that was batting a relegation not before too long and are now in contention for, for a lot of uh, good stuff. Um, Bo Svensson, I think we all knew, was a great manager, but it's uh, it's really coming to the fore. Perhaps not always the most prettiest of games to watch, I think it's fair <laughs> to say. Um, that 1-0 against Hoffenheim was something more for a tactical tactical connoisseur than 
lovers of free-flowing, beautiful football, but it is effective. And of course, they have to make do with what they have, which is not that much in terms of individual skill. A collective game is is what they're all about. I think we have time to talk about one more game in a bit of detail. Christoph, uh, pick one. Obviously, Augsburg against Werder Bremen. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. No, no, uh, um, but but uh, when, when you talk about, um, when you were talking about this, the, the way how Mainz is kind of grinding out results, um, I, I think they are, um, in a way, um, typical for this group of teams and, and also Augsburg belongs to it. Also, they upgraded their footballing quality a bit in, in the, um, in the winter break. I mean, we've talked about extensively about, uh, Union Berlin, um, and Cologne and Mainz and Augsburg, um, and, 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 and a bit also now, uh, Schalke, for example. So it's um, all teams that uh, were organization, determination, fighting spirit, this kind of stuff uh, um, come together. But um, and now, to me, they are in a way typical for how the Bundesliga uh, plays, um, and uh, and the, I, I think they are actually really good in in, in what they are doing. Um, in a, in a more luxurious way, you can see it also with, um, Frankfurt some, uh, and, and also, uh, Borussia Dortmund actually. And, um, so, um, is this the, 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 the face of German football right now? I mean, we, we talk a lot about Bayern and so on, but, but, but I think Bayern are an outlier in, in, in many respects, uh, in, in the, in the Bundesliga. And, um, we see, uh, and it's, it's also, um, uh, that Hoffenheim is struggling is, uh, because probably they don't follow this pattern and to, to, to organize themselves in as a, fighting unit but more like a playing unit and uh, am i right or is that too far-fetched no i think you're absolutely right this is this is the way this has been the bundesliga way i think for some time that kind of uh, style sets sets the tone and it helps teams level the playing field by just having collective effort and organization to really bridge the gap. And we've often seen in the past that the gap between those who have more money and have less money isn't that pronounced because the style, I think, helps to negate that uh, difference to a certain extent. And the better teams haven't always been able to to bring that quality onto the pitch. And you might say that this is another of those seasons when we look at Wolfsburg um, with the money that they still have and, and Leverkusen being still in mid-table Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, only 10th, and then suddenly uh, Mainz is ahead of them, and Freiburg, of course, are the, the eternal outliers, if you will. Uh, we've been uh, getting used to them, and Union Berlin are, are similar, although their style is, is slightly slightly more, um, how should I say, agricultural, uh, <laughs> not to be too unkind. Um, but anyway, we, have, uh, we still have a great title race. Bayern and Dortmund now on 49 points. 
it does look very much like it's the two of them. Union not out of it, 44. Leipzig on 42, the same as Freiburg in fifth. We talked about all the other teams. Next week, we will have the Ruhr Derby. Schalke taking on Dortmund. A huge game for different reasons, but for the very important reasons that it is still the derby and you play against your neighbor and it doesn't really matter what happens elsewhere. Uh, Bayern are playing Augsburg in the small Bavarian derby and Leipzig have got Gladbach. So should be another super interesting round. We'll tell you all about it next week and we will also introduce some very exciting news about our supporters members club. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Please subscribe. Please do help us. SteadyHQ.com slash EN slash Beer and Honey is the place to go. You'll find us everywhere where good pods are and the bad ones. And in the meantime, you won't have to wait too long before another Beer and Honey episode because we'll be back on Thursday to talk about the big Champions League games of both Bayern and Dortmund. Until such time, I was Rafael Honigstein. I was Christoph Biermann. And we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast.